You think for yourself? We like that around here. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. An interesting debate that has been sort of exacerbated by all of the COVID closures, the COVID era closures regarding schools and businesses and jobs and and everything with that. And that has to do with student loans. And obviously I've got a personal interest in this because my daughter just finished college. And so there are student loans involved in our household, but a big movement to cancel student debt may be growing politically in Washington, D.C. What could that mean to you and what could that mean to the country economically? I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for staying with us here on uh, American Viewpoints, joined now by Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation, where he is the, uh, the education fellow, senior education fellow. And Jonathan, I want to start with what exactly is proposed when they say cancel student debt who would that actually affect? And is there any limit to it just as the proposal? Then we'll get into the possible consequences and unintended consequences. Well, great to be with you. And frankly, it depends who you ask. If you ask those more radical elements of um, the left side of the spectrum, they would say all student debt should be forgiven. And uh, if you take maybe one step closer to uh, the, the middle, but not much, they would say, well, those with student loan debt of $50,000 or more, more should be forgiven. But what people need to understand is that those that hold the highest amount of student debt have two important characteristics. One, they're in the upper percentiles of the income level already. So wealthier students are taking out higher levels of loan debt. And then secondly, you have graduate students taking out higher levels of loan debt than undergraduate students. So in the last 50 years, you've seen um, those who are grad students, they're taking out about 26 or more thousand dollars a year uh, compared to those in bachelor programs, which are taking about five to $7,000 on average a year. So clearly we have those who are in med school, law school, ready for high paying jobs, taking out higher levels of debt today. And I want to go back to just one more uh, clarification of this. And maybe there's not an answer. Like you said, maybe there are different proposals. I'll I'll use my household as an example, Jonathan. Uh, My daughter is the one who went to school. Uh, Much of the loan is held by me because she can't take out that much. They don't allow that. So does that mean that only her part as proposed would be forgiven or would that affect the parents who also hold that student loan debt for the student or former student? Well, I think based on the way the proposals have been explained, it is those that hold the debt, whoever's name is on the loan. But again, it depends who you ask, because remember, taxpayers are the ones who are going to be on the hook for this, right? Upwards of 90% of all student loans are underwritten by the federal government today. So we're not forgiving anything. We're simply shifting it from those that actually took out the loans to taxpayers. Let's talk about the arguments of the proponents of this idea. I would I would guess that they might even acknowledge that what you just said is correct, but they'll say, yes, but these young people are going to get a fresh start. They're going to be able to build a career. They're going to be able to invest. They're going to be able to spend. And of course, they'll make one argument that higher education is a right. That's that's a whole different conversation, but they're going to argue, well, yeah, but it's really just deleting spaces on a spreadsheet and they're going to have more money to spend. It's really good for the economy. What's the response to that argument? Well, first, it's not only that they will make an economic argument, but I was debating on, <clears throat> excuse me, on C-SPAN 
last year about this. And it's there's also a um, racial component that sounds eerily like critical race theory, as though the move is really towards equality of outcomes, otherwise known as equity in the critical race parlance that the system should provide the same outcomes for everyone. And they can do that by putting, uh, forcing some people to have more than they have worked for and others to have less, right? So that is very much the worldview that's behind uh, this, this whole proposal. Per the economic argument, I think the, a response would be, well, when do we stop? I mean, we do it this year, but what about those who take out loans next year or in five years? or in 10 years from now. And along the way, what do we do when universities continue to raise tuition? I mean, there is a research from uh, the Federal Reserve that shows that when Washington increases its contributions to student loans and the size of student loans, that the tuition prices at colleges goes up, right? So there's a clear uh, connection here between additional federal intervention in student loans and the price of college. And as you can imagine, it becomes a spiral, right? In a never, sort of a never ceasing circle here. We're visiting with Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation. So let's talk to those who, you know, well, frankly, you know, there's, I mentioned me now for whatever it's worth, uh, I am fully expecting to pay back the loans. I knew it, I was uh, signing up for when I took out the loan so my daughter could go to college. But talk about those young people or maybe the other parents who say, hey, this sounds great. Okay, if you uh, you know send the bill on to somebody else, I'm sorry about that, but my goodness, my life's going to be a lot easier. So there's a real easy emotional pitch to this from those who are supporting cancellation of student loans. What do they need to know about maybe the bigger picture that could affect them down the road? Well, if we're looking for an emotional pitch, we should make the point that student loan forgiveness would overwhelmingly support wealthy students and students from wealthy families, and it would not help children from low-income families and students from low-income families uh, nearly as much. Um, the research finds that the top 10% of earners with loan debt would get something like six times the benefits of students in the bottom 10% of the income scale. I mean, you're talking about an, a, a seriously um, regressive structure here that would uh, harm those, uh, would not help those at the bottom of the income scale. Uh, I think if we're also talking about fairness, remember that only about 36% um, of Americans age 25 or older have a bachelor's degree. So you're going to ask about, uh, you know, a third, right, of Americans who are also taxpayers to pay for uh, those, uh, sorry, two thirds of those taxpayers without a college degree to pay for those getting the degrees, right? We're asking those in the workforce today to pay for others to uh, often, those from wealthier families, to get college degrees. I mean, there is no question that paying back uh, student loans at very high levels is a challenge and is difficult, uh, but that doesn't mean that Washington should shift it to the taxpayer. We're visiting with Jonathan Butcher once again from the Heritage Foundation. Just a couple of minutes left here, Jonathan. At the core of this, while a lot of people are you know, showing an example of a young person getting ready to start a career and they show you know, $80,000 in debt or something crazy like that. And that's the pitch that's being made. Uh, but when you mentioned the cost of uh, higher education, my wife is a university professor. She believes there has to be a day of reckoning with colleges and universities for driving up these prices. There is a connection. Is there anything we can learn from this debate that actually can get 
some sort of control of the increasing cost of education, which federal government and colleges and universities, I would think, share responsibility for driving up these costs. Well, I think there are three big things we can do. The first is look to those universities like Purdue that have income share agreements where uh, students will work with a business or a corporation to help underwrite their college education while they're in school. In return, they will work for that uh, business or corporation when they graduate to help work off some of those payments. That helps to promote human capital. It helps to promote the workforce. And I think it would be a benefit for those businesses, right, that are training individuals to do what they are going to be asked to do when they graduate, uh, should they go into that you know, particular field. Uh, I think, secondly, we need to be preparing K-12 students to be successful uh, should they choose to go to higher ed. I think there's a, a supreme um, gap between students both at the bottom of the income scale as well as uh, students of minority ethnicities in terms of reading and math achievement compared to their white peers. And so we need to close that gap. We need to do everything that we can to help those children who do not have a quality K-12 option right now, find one and get access to a quality school. And then, and this is the third big one, is that we don't need to push every child to get a four-year degree, right? There is absolutely value in uh, technical education, in um, getting a job when you graduate and then deciding whether or not college should be in your future. Um, important research has been done on something called the success sequence that shows that if you finish high school, get a job, and then get married before you have children, you are far less likely to wind up in poverty than those who don't follow that sequence. So if we wanna promote human flourishing and we wanna give people the chance to succeed, we need to be teaching them these habits and values, and we need to be not pushing every child, regardless of their interests, into a four-year program. All right. Uh, Heritage.org is where you're going to find Jonathan's work and all of his colleagues. Jonathan, are you on social media as well? I am uh, at JM underscore Butcher and my book Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth is available now for pre-order. Jonathan, appreciate the insight. Thank you. And you can also find me on Twitter as well. It's at AVP Radio Show. Thank you for making American Viewpoints part of your weekend. I'm Mike Ferguson. We will talk to you again next week.